Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. A Living History Production. I'm Peter Hart. And I'm Gary Bain. And together, we're Pete and Gary's Military History Podcast. Hello and welcome to the podcast. And, uh, I'm Gary Bain and I'm here today with the, the whirling dervish that is Peter Hart. Hello Gary. And to- Today's a bit of a special episode. Uh, it's come to the end of a long and rocky road. Yeah, today we're doing the conditions on the Somme 1916, Pete, which is the last in our series uh, uh, covering the Somme, which uh, we started ooh, June... I don't know. I don't know when we started it. How many have we done, Gary? How many? How many have we done? How many? One, two, three. Lots. 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 That's what your friend Andy said. He does, yes. That's that's a lot. Now, uh, existence in the trenches of the Somme, that could be... So what? what hang on. Hang on. What, what, what's the subject of this thing? Well, now? conditions on the Somme. As I said, Pete, a bit tired this morning, are we? Yeah. So can I carry on now? Yeah. Excellent. So existence in the trenches of the Somme could be uh, a short and uh, brutish experience. A bit like yourself. Just a bit. Short and brutish. Now, you're within the range of the the guns. There was no safety in numbers, no genuine shelter, uh, and no real peace of mind. Couldn't get it, no, no. Now, the stresses imposed, they'd be unbearable to the modern mind, yet the vast majority of men endured everything that was thrown at them. I suppose you had to laugh or cry. Oh, I see what you did there. Yeah, clever, eh? Yeah. (laughs) Now, every time the men went forward into the front line, they knew that there's a fair chance that they might never return. Now, whether they were just holding the line or about to make an attack, they knew that their lives had reached a distinct crossroads. Yeah, I think that's that's the case, isn't it? Uh, they'd hope they'd hope they're going to get through all right, uh, but they'd, they'd be fearing the worst. So it would be only uh, human nature, uh, and, and it isn't just about being killed either, is it? No, I mean uh, they they feared death. Of course they did, but but also the type of wound that would leave them crippled for life. Now, how did they get to the front then? Well, it's usually made through the cramped communication and support trenches, and and they crisscross the battlefield like a maze. And uh, they would normally be led by guides. Usually, they had no idea of where they were going or what they'd be doing. And sometimes the guides weren't much better off either. Well, they wouldn't. They, yeah, they'd get lost as well, wouldn't they? Uh, and what when they got to the front, is it sort of nice and neat? 
No, I mean, it's a far cry from the neatly regimented trenches that uh, they they encountered during their training. The carefully constructed parapet in fire step, duck boards, regular bays and paradox. That's not going to be there, is it? (laughs) No, they're, they're, they're basically almost entirely absent. So what would you have? Would it be... Well, they're often little more than crude, muddy ditches, particularly earlier in the war, or shell holes that were chained together to make a rough line. Often, they'd just been hewn out by desperate men who knew that they'd got to get undercover fast or die. Um, so, uh, well, they're, 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 and, and, and the, the, the German shell fire is just unrelenting. Um, um, and uh, th- this is the worst problem that faces the marks, I think, overall. Um, the, you hear loads about machine guns, but the real problem is the artillery, isn't it? And uh, men gradually got to identify different types of shell, didn't they? Um, and and uh, one of them that, I mean, it's still, I remember interviewing them, they all used to bang on about, bang on about it. Um, was uh, was the, uh, the 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 light shell fired by the seventy seven German seventy seven millimeter gun? That's well equivalent to the British eighteen pounder, I think. I'm not sure about that, but it seems right. And it's called the whiz bang. Uh, and you, well, it's a pretty accurate description. You're going to be uh, Major Walter Vignoles of the Tenth Lincolnshires, and uh, what's he got to say about them? Whizbangs are not very jolly when fired exactly at you, as they were at the company headquarters. As Ethel says, it's not the bullet I mind, it's the bang. Hey. So with the whizbangs when fired at you, the whiz part is almost absent, only lasts a fraction of a second, and then there comes the sharp bang. It's quite startling, but it is over so soon that it is really not so bad as the larger cells at which one hears coming some time before. In their case, the agony is prolonged. Now, the, the main, the, the, the biggest, uh, the most, sorry, the most common large shells, if you like, are the 5.9s, aren't they? Uh, yeah, they, 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 they have a big black puff of smoke don't they a cloud of smoke yeah and they had a, a variety of nicknames uh, several of them uh, a little untoward to the modern ear uh, coal boxes that's uh, fairly obvious from the black smoke jack johnson's after the uh, well-known uh, american boxer who yeah, was, he was heavyweight champion yeah he was pre-war uh, yeah you know about boxing don't you just a bit uh, now another menacing type of, uh, of shell which was fired by the germans was the uh, minenwerfers what what were they, Pete? They're well. They're a short short range. They're they're a trench mortar, aren't they? Like um um and and they would just take a position in the German front lines and pound the British front lines. Uh, uh, if they if the, if the line was static enough to get them up and into position, because they're quite heavy things, they're not like Stokes mortars by by And again, you're going to be Walter Vignals of the link of the Tenth Lincolns. A form of Bosch frightfulness called by us oil cans from their resemblance to a small oil drum. These drums are about a foot in diameter and about 18 inch high and are filled with explosive containing very little shrapnel. The result is that they make a tremendous explosion with violent concussion so that if they drop in the bay in which a man chances to be, they knock him very queer. The effect, however, is very local, and one can see them coming, so that the men very soon got in the way of watching for them and dodging them. As a matter of fact, most of them fall outside the trench and burst quite harmlessly. One night, I was out and saw five oil cans in the, in the air together. The fuse makes a streak in the sky as it burns through the air. None dropped very near me. The sergeants with me and I stood watching them to see which way they were going before making a move. It is the only thing to do. And if a man keeps his head, he can usually get away. 
Yeah, but if they get the range, or if uh, or if there's too many of them fired, it, it's not so easy, is it? It really isn't. Gas was a weapon that still had the power to cause panic amongst the men. The cloud oh, attacks... Oh, not, not surprising. Well, no, not really. <laughs> but the cloud attacks of 1915, then now largely replaced by artillery gas shells that landed with an insignificantly unthreatening plop before releasing their contents into the atmosphere. Now, essentially, the various forms of gas were designed to render victims incapable of functioning as soldiers. A small dose would cause breathing difficulties, uncontrollable crying, but too much, and it could kill or cause lifelong chest problems. There's something primordial in the fear of not being able to breathe in safety. And there's also the very real lurking fear that the Germans could at any moment unleash new and ever more deadly forms of gas. They could, and did. (laughs) And you're going to be Lieutenant Edgar Lord of the 15th Lancashire Fusiliers. Jerry started to shell with gas shells, a village to our rear in the valley. He plastered this place and soon our eyes began to water copiously. We thought it was only tear gas, but as we began to splutter, cough and squirm, we found we'd been too optimistic. I thought my heart would lose itself as I was very sick. But as the shelling ceased about an hour later, I began to be more composed. We were all a little windy, as we'd been told some time before that the Germans, the Huns, sorry, had invented a new gas, which was fatal if the victim had any exercise within half an hour. This proved to be untrue, as we took an eight-mile march to the rear with no ill effects. But they, they did, and um, the, the, the gas began, they began to appear. I've momentarily forgotten. There's mustard gas coming in later on. The, there's lots. They, the Germans were bringing in deadly new kinds of, uh, of gas, weren't they? Well, it's the one that begins with P. It's gone completely out of my head. It's gone out of your head as well, hasn't it? Thanks, mate, yeah. <laughs> what is it? Phosphorus. No, phosphorus is a burny thing. <laughs> yeah, well, that's the only P I can think of. Well, I can think of another P. Should we stop and go? <laughs> right. So, by the middle of August 1916, there's a new gas mask and it, and it begins to make its appearance. It's not initially popular with the men, for although it allowed them to function in gas and preserve their lives, they're all thought to wear, combining real discomfort with a strange futuristic appearance. Now, this is the P, the P gas, uh, the P, it's, it's the one that's like a bag over your head. Something I would advise you to consider next time you go out socially, Gary, a bag on your head would only improve your popularity amongst people, I think. Now, I'm going to be Signor Dudley Menno Lissenberg, good old-fashioned English name. And a close friend of Joe Murray. Of the 97th Battery, 147th Brigade, uh, Royal Field Artillery. An instrument of torture. A muzzle covered the face from below the eyes and lifted tightly under the chin. This was connected to a tin container, not unlike a regulation water bottle, lodged on the chest by a reinforced concertinaed rubber tube from which a flipper through which one exhaled uh, protruded. That's that little rubber thing, isn't it, out the mouth, out the front of it. A pair of large metal-rimmed goggles was pulled over the eyes and required constant attention to keep it in place. After a while, the padded interior of the muzzle became very soggy and the flipper dripped saliva. However... Though most unpleasant and uncomfortable, it proved efficient and saved us from the horrible effect of the gas. And that's the one that made the sound like a <laughs> rasp. <laughs> I knew you'd be ready for that. You're always ready with a raspberry, aren't you? Yeah, yeah. Now, but, and it's also the one that most people think of, the most common-looking one 
from the from the Great War. It's like a hood over your head, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, well, I always think of the other one. Funny enough, I, that, uh, that's interesting. You say that because I always think of the later one. You know, the more the, well, the, the later the one box, looks more the, like the modern the box gas respirator. Mask, yeah. yeah, I always think of that one. Too. So it depends what, what which one you've seen most pictures of recently. I suspect. Yeah. I yeah. So. And we've been doing the SOM, so you, you're spot on there. Um, now, what about um, um, dugouts and things to shelter from for well from from artillery? Um, the, the the British. Well, they're not the, really ever mastered it. Not not to not the degree then, that not the, then. the Germans uh, later on they get better in in seventeen and eighteen. But in in sixteen, the Germans are uh, they're just they're 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 just not that good. The biggest Who, and the best dugouts in the front lines they're reserved by uh, for the company headquarters, where the company commanders and his officers would be housed along with the senior NCOs and signalers if there's room. Well, that that I mean that's not just pandering to officers though, is it? Because that that's a functional room. I mean, it is, you, and there weren't that many of them, was you, there? Yeah, you have to have a headquarters which can be not knocked out in a single blow, or you could take the whole command structure of a battalion out. Uh, now, the men themselves, they've usually got to make do with individual cubby holes scraped out the side of the trench. And in some sectors, they're able to occupy dugouts that have been captured from the Germans. They'd be magnificent. They were. That's that's entirely the correct word. They were fantastic efforts in comparison to the shallow scrapings of the British troops. But even they weren't well, safe. Well, I can, I can think why not, if you think about Why would a German dugout not be safe? And I'm going to be Sergeant Harry Preston of the 9th Australian Battalion. He says this. The old German trenches occupied by us on Posiers Ridge, between Posiers Ridge Village and the farm, contained a number of commodious dugouts, 20 feet and more in depth, floored and in some cases partitioned into several rooms. One in particular, which was occupied by B Company headquarters, was lit by electricity generated by a sort of bicycle pedalled by a man. The only drawback was that the mouths of the dugouts faced the enemy line. That is a disadvantage, Gary. Um, More than once, a German shell blew in the entrance, inflicting loss on the occupants below. On one occasion, I was sheltering with others in the dugout when a shell exploded just above its mouth. Although none of us was hurt, we had visions of being trapped alive. But when the smoke cleared, we glimpsed daylight up the stairway and were able to scratch a hole large enough to enable us to crawl out on our hands and knees. And I think recently, even last year, or was it the year before, they found a German uh, dugout where they'd been trapped. And, mm, and, that must and, have been awful. Well, couldn't get out. Yeah, terrible. Um, what, what, what do you think it was like in one of these dugouts? Well, by the very nature, they're, they're dank, gloomy and unwelcoming places. A bit that, like your home. That offered very little in the way of... I'll tell Janet you said that. Oh, God. Very little in the way of uh, home comforts and... Um, oh, no, I don't mean like this. <laughs> I was thinking of my own home, that's it. Yes. No home comforts there, Gary. Now, most men, they've got to make do with the open trenches. Now, because of that, their uniforms often become filthy. Muddy. Copiously bespattered with mud and nameless, nameless horrors. Name those horrors. <laughs> I'll name uh. those horrors in three. <laughs> well, I can't think what they'd be. In fact, it's not a subject for humour, Gary. Now, interestingly, Pete, you can visit uh, some German bunkers. Uh, there's a trench uh, near Apes called Bayernwald. Um, and, and it's got the German bunkers there. They're, they're quite, they're much smaller than you imagine because, a bit like the British, they didn't want you to get, the Germans didn't want their troops to get too comfortable. But you can go inside and you can see them saying, like, huge, there's some, some bunkers there as well. And, and you can really understand how awful it would have been to be in them for any period of time. 
I think the Somme ones were bigger, but they, 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 by 17, which is when the Ypres ones are built, they, you're right, they've started reducing. They don't want all their eggs in one basket, do they? No. So uh, um, now, uh, the, the, uh, one of the things that, I mean, the unit, they were filthy. The men's up to their asses in mud, blood, and poppycock. <laughs> what? <laughs> I thought, what, Corrigan? How did Gordon make an appearance? <laughs> I like Gordon Corrigan. Um, but they, they, there's very little fresh water about, isn't there? It's a real, um, I, can, I can tell I wrote these notes originally at the time when uh, there was a TV programme called The Life of Grime, which is about filthy buggers who don't clean their homes, if I remember rightly. Um, and yeah, so you, you can't even have a proper wash and shave. There's not enough water to do that. Well, so. there's plenty of water, Gary. <laughs> <laughs> Fresh water. <laughs> oh, sorry. And you're going to be Lieutenant Horace uh, Pavier of the 167th Company Machine Gun Corps. Uh, what do you got to say for yourself, Horace? When an occasional opportunity arose in the early dawn hours, I stripped to my Batman through dirty water taken from shell holes in a canvas bucket all over me, much to the amusement of nearby onlookers. I bet. <laughs> Short periods of sleep were snatched in various locations, sometimes in shell holes, reminding me of Bruce Bairnsfeather's famous cartoon, If you'd have a better hole, go to it. One night... I slept in the remains of a tomb belonging to the Waterlock family in Goulemont churchyard and another in a recently captured German dugout. Removing blankets lying on the wire bunks and casting them aside on the ground, I began to wonder if I was developing delusions. The blankets were moving in all directions and on closer examination I realised that this was caused by the infestation of millions of lice. My machine gunners also became infested and whenever possible removed their shirts to pick off any visible lice. On one occasion I heard one say to another there goes another Arsenal supporter as he threw it away. I gathered that the remark was made on account of its colour. Not on account of being lousy. No, I wondered why I got that quote, Pete. <laughs> now, uh, so the, 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 the lice, almost everybody develops lice, uh, but uh, they all, the, and the men would be delousing and chatting, as they called it. But the lice, uh, uh, they're, 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 they're most of them, they always said the British one, and that's the point of his tale, isn't it? They're in a German dugout. The British ones are sort of light fawn, lovely colour. Whereas uh, the German lice, <laughs> the dugouts there, in the German dugouts, they picked up lice, which were a horrible red colour. Uh, yeah, red is a sign of danger or, or uh, incompetence in the case of Arsenal Football Club. And Liverpool on occasion. And definitely. <laughs> uh, you can look this up. We just surrendered a 2-0 lead. <laughs> now, various powders were commercially available. But, Keatings. Uh, Keatings is yeah, the one. Oh, but yeah. their efficiency was often in doubt. And uh, the men swore that the lice thrived on them. <laughs> Can you imagine that? You use the power. <laughs> You're actually feeding them. The lice go, more. I'll have some more of that. Yeah. The best way was to deal with them uh, by getting the lice one by one. In it's a, a ceaseless <laughs> battle of attrition, Gary. Yeah. I can argue that mirrored the war itself, oh, Pete. Gary, that's... See what I did there? I do. I do you, you took my <laughs> plebeian... Now, you're going to be a private Thomas Jennings of the 1st 6th Royal Berkshire, Berkshire Regiment. Is he lousy? <laughs> In the light of a few candles, I made out half a dozen fellows with their shirts off. I soon found out it was a de-lousing session, and they were cracking big body lice between their thumbnails. Lice lay in the seams of trousers and their deep furrows of long woollen underpants. Do you have deep furrows in your underpants, Gary? 
A lighted candle applied where they were thickest made them pop and splatter small blood spots onto one's face and hands. A delousing session could take a couple of hours. I felt downright sick and, and I left the dugout to go into the sunlight where the shelves were. <laughs> Not sure which I'd prefer. It's horrible. That sounds really awful. There's something worse, though. What, what can you imagine? What form of life would be worse than lice? Well, I suppose you're in reference to rats, Pete. Yeah, and this is something that people get o- go over the top with, uh, you know, up to their eyes, mud, blood and rats. But rats are, r- are where rats are. So if you're near a canal, so often it's more eeps than the Somme. But they were on the Somme, weren't they? And what do you think? Why are rats so horrible? Because I, I saw one the other day when I was walking round the, the reservoir and uh, the new new uh, canal why uh, new river why 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 are rats so horrible on the western front well it's the circumstances they're, 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 the men are, are acutely aware of the rats predilection for feasting on the plentiful corpses lying out in no man's land it's awful isn't it i mean it's it that, that is enough to give you the willies isn't it um um, now, you're going to be, and a quote to the effect of uh, uh, Lieutenant Leonard Pratt, and he's 1st, 4th Duke of Wellington's regiment. What have you got to say, Leonard? I found out last night where a rat starts eating when he finds a corpse. I was just dozing off in my hammock when I felt a sharp pain in the knuckle of my middle finger, right hand. Evidently, a rat had mistaken me for a dead man. Two nights ago, I found a similar cut on the knuckle of the same figure on the other hand. It's badly swollen now. Why the rat should start here, I cannot imagine, unless it is that the bone is near the skin here and he uses his tooth against the bone. <laughs> Grinding. <laughs> yeah, that's a horrible quote. Um, now, um, there's one thing that really starts to dominate. As, as they move, and we've moved through the story of the Somme, and you move towards winter, what's one thing that starts to dominate your life, do you think? Well, it's common to everybody, from a private to the highest regimental officer, Pete, and it's the mud. Mud, mud, It's, mud, it's dominating mud. their lives. Now, the Somme mud seemed to be a sort of demonic elemental force. Are we moving into purple prose here? We are, purple prose, <laughs> which is intent on slowly sucking the life out of them. Gary! <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Oh. oh dear, have you been Richard, reading? Now this is a joke, Richard. Have you been reading Richard Van Emden again? Well, obviously, <laughs> I wouldn't read yours. Oh. Um, now you're oh. once more uh, going. No, to, I've never been no, in before in my person. life. <laughs> you're going to I'd, be. I'd like to know how you pronounce my name, by the way, Gary. I just uh, just out of interest. You're going to be Captain Hugh. Nivet of the 15th Queensland Battalion. That's how I'd have pronounced it as well. And I am Hugh. How we cursed that mud. We cursed it sleeping. We cursed it waking. We cursed it riding. We cursed it walking. We ate it and cursed. We drank it and cursed. We swallowed it and spat it. We snuffed it and wept it. We filled our nails. It, sorry, it filled our nails and our ears. It caked and lined our clothing. We wallowed in it. We waded through it. We swam in it and splashed it about. It stuck our helmets to our hair. It plastered our wounds and there were men drowned in it. Oh, mud, thou daughter of the devil, thou offspring of evil of the inferno. <laughs> Sorry, offspring. This is just ridiculous. Sorry, I know why I picked this quote. Thou offspring of evil, back to your infernal regions and invade the lower circle of the inferno that you may make a fit abiding place. 
in for the slacker and the pacifist. You know what what we were saying about purple bros? Yeah. He just swung into it. By the way, though, a lot of that would actually describe accurately the effects of uh, of uh, Fred's bowels on the on the near on uh, a room. Uh, so how could how it's cold? It's wet. The mud's up to your elbows. Well, that's an exaggeration, but there's mud everywhere. What what did the men think? It may not have been. It's, that's a note for the scientists among you. What uh, what do the men think helped? Well, they think that the the rum ration helps, which you know, contrary to popular myth, this not administered to get the uh, Tommies roaring drunk before they went that, over the that top. Is, that is bollocks. Yeah, no, it was it was tightly controlled ration, uh, and it was meant primarily to help keep out the cold and generally invigorate the men. Hence, your point about it may not scientifically actually well, do that. Well, that's good because uh, if you drink alcohol, it it, it reduces your body temperature, but that's not how the men felt and and and, and it that that that, that I'm well, always... for those of you that drink spirits with any spirit really you get a sort of warming of the chest as you drink it so you know they would have felt warmed by the rum so you feel warmed by gin i feel warmed by a number of things that we won't go into right. now armies of men can't exist on their own Oh, we're going into logistics here we'll do this quickly though won't we yeah we'll do it very quickly the amount of supplies needed every day that would have fed a teeming city. Even Birmingham? <laughs> Thousands of tonnes of food and water had to be got forward every night. That's just to feed you, Gary. <laughs> now, and let's not forget the animals as well. We've got horses need need feed as well. Munitions had to be brought up. The uh, And the guns, they're, uh, as you describe them, voracious beasts in their ceaseless demands for shells. Shells, shells and more shells. Cool. I, I really developed a purple brace. <laughs> Um, this year, we know we had an episode on, on basically the logistics, but it, it, the infrastructure is just in, incredible, isn't it? The, the, the trenches. I mean, just, just the trenches. What do you need to, what do you need for a trench? We're not talking about the linked shell holes. We're talking about a pro- proper shell. What, what, uh, when you get, when you've established your trenches, what do you need? Well, Go you on, need incredible me. quantities of wood, sandbags. You can't get no wood now. Corrugated iron and barbed wire. General service wagons rumbled constantly through the night and their drivers from the Army Service Corps, Royal Engineers and Royal Artillery, had an absolutely vital role. They're not that... Well, people think they're not at the sharp end, but what is it that can be a nuisance? What, 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 <laughs> they're still what? risking their lives, Pete. Let's face it, the German artillery has registered the range of many of the main roads, and, and, and particularly junctions. junctions, and at night they'd open up randomly to, re- to, to wreak havoc on any convoy of wagons unlucky enough to be passing at the time. Well, you're going to be one of those because they don't have any choice. They've got to get these wagons forward, and uh, GS wagons. Uh, so uh, you're going to be driver Roland Luther of C Battery, 92nd Brigade Royal Field Artillery. That crossroad was shelled over and over again. A great hole appeared in the middle, perhaps 12 foot deep, and the pioneers would contrive to fill it up again, carrying stones or sandbags, and always ready to dodge away when German artillery would blast it away again. The strange thing was that there was nowhere to drive into, and we horsemen had to make a bolt under fire, diving straight into a heavy crater filled with stinking water. Our horses were up to their bellies, and even higher in mud and water. How we ever got them out was a mystery. If they'd received shell fragments, we cut their traces, and many received a bullet to end their suffering and agony. 
Now, uh, the, the infantry and their sort of support and, and reserve lines could actually, they'd see them going forward. And, uh, and I'm going to be Private John Lawton of the 5th King's Liverpool Regiment. Uh, he was one of those who watching this carnage. And he, he says this, Our trench ran parallel with the main road to Mamet, in which direction all our transport came. I believe the Bosch knew every inch of the road. Daily and hourly, we witnessed almost indescribable scenes on the roadside, our transport being hurled into the air like pieces of paper blown by the wind. The groans and cries of the wounded and dying pierced us through and through and made our blood run cold. I never slept a single moment in this position. Now, they couldn't get right to the front, could they, the wagons? No, they could only get so far, and, and then they'd drop off the supplies at dumps behind the front line. The food was divided up by the company sergeant majors and then carried up the last few hundred yards in sandbags, slung over the shoulders of the ration parties, sent back by the battalion in the front line. Now, um, it's basic food, isn't it? People often moan about the food, but I think the British Army did brilliantly in feeding the men in, 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 in the trenches. Uh, so well, let's, we've done this before, so let's run through it quickly. What, what, what have they got? What, what are they going to get? Well, if you think about it, tin food's the staple. Of course. With, with corned beef. Um, bully beef. The dreaded bully beef of legend uh, predominating alongside the McConaughey's meat and vegetable stew. M&V, yep. Dry and very dry dog biscuits called because they were so hard and difficult to eat or if they were lucky they'd get bread uh, not so often is it uh, they'd fill up the bread along with uh, bacon cheese and jam now jam what would you get uh, it's the western front plum and apple plum and apple what did you get in Gallipoli um Plum and apple. <laughs> apricot. <laughs> apricot, yes. Or plum and apple, yeah. Unless it was unlabeled. Unless it was, in which case, strawberry. <laughs> Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quinn's. 
Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Now, one staple of the diet, clearly, was tea. So that's how you get a water ration, was it? The British well, Army somewhere. had its own recipe for tea that seemed to involve far too much of everything being stewed until it was unrecognisable by anyone with functioning taste buds. Now, was that still the case when your army career? Yeah, it was pretty much. Did you drink tea then? Yeah, you, you, you'd find, you turn up somewhere and there'd be a Dixie of tea. So if, even if you'd been on a run, for example, at the end of the run, you wouldn't get given water, you'd get given tea. And were they still using condensed milk? Uh, yes, they did use condensed milk, and they they still used metal um, cups. So when you drank from them, you burnt your mouth. A bit like the Great War Group. We recently bought no, some not that mugs. type of metal cup mugs. But... <laughs> well, I, I burnt my lips on them. I'd like to right. So uh, uh, you're going to be. Uh, we've had this chat before on the uh, the In earlier uh, ones. Yeah, yeah the, he was the one who did the Royal Army Medical Corps because he was with 45th uh, Field Ambulance, and his. You're going to be medical officer, Lieutenant Lawrence Gameson. The tea, corrosively strong and sweet as a concentrated syrup, served in mugs with the enamel chipped off just where you put your lips. Contact with the naked tin can be avoided by drinking from the segment immediately above the handle. The state of the mugs can't be helped because they get such a bashing about, but there's no excuse for the ghastly brew. The men love it, don't they? They just love it. And, uh, well, do they love it? No, uh, but, but what it is, is it's, it's, what is it? It's wet. It's it's warm or hot, and uh, and it's got sugar in it. Well, um, usually an excess of sugar. Yeah. <laughs> so you get you, you sort of get a temporary high. Well, it's got caffeine in it. I mean, people always say coffee, but tea's got hasn't tea got as much as coffee? It's got caffeine, yeah. Yeah, and uh, so it's a uh, it's just a it's just a little bit of something to stop them being so bloody miserable. Uh, so anyway, let's move on. Uh, what's uh, one of my favourite expressions about the Great War, Gary? What goes in must come out. Are we talking latrines? <laughs> we are. Now, latrine discipline had to be maintained by the men at the front. If the men went anywhere they pleased, then the trenches would soon have been uninhabited. Oh, God, I've got this vision now. Oh. Sanitation's hugely Now, this important. is where I'm expecting that uh, Fred should contribute something to the atmosphere. Yeah. Sanitation's hugely important, and the presence of swarms of flies coupled with open latrines held a very real threat of dysentery. And, and we're not talking in winter, but in summer, that is, uh, isn't it? Uh, definitely, yeah. Uh, what are latrines? Well, well so we're, we're not got Christ. We're, we've, dealt, we've done this to death. In, in, in yeah, our- I mean, there's various types. Some were dug inside uh, trenches, uh, mere holes in the ground, occasionally boxed in, or with a pole as a seat. And then the pole broke. <laughs> Some of them were a bit large concrete structures, uh, you know, a bit further behind the trenches, and they were all liberally doused in quicklime to try and keep the threat back the threat of disease. That must have been awful. Now, oh, the whole, I mean, the whole thing about the front line, front line and support trenches, they're just murder, aren't they? Uh, what, what do you think? The British, the British soldier, of course, never complains. What do you think their, uh, their hopes and fears centre on? Well, they, they completely uh, concentrate on the time when they're they're, they're going to be relieved at the end of the tour of duty in the front line. Yeah, and this is one thing that people don't understand. They're not in line 
for long. No, under those conditions, you can you can't three take to it for, five for, days for I very think. long. Yeah, three, three, three to five if, days. Especially is the norm. If, if there's an attack, it's often just you go in one day, attack the next day, and you're out the next. Yeah. Uh, but if you're holding the line five days, three, uh, yeah, it's not long, is it? Now, like a, a well-oiled machine, the relief rarely went entirely smoothly. <laughs> so not like a well-oiled. No, <laughs> as the new troops often had trouble finding their way to the right spot in the wasteland that surrounded them. Now, this is the thing, because we, we mentioned about the guides earlier. I mean, it is a wasteland, isn't it? There's not exactly... Uh, so, couldn't they use church spires? Well, they uh, buildings? Well, they were, yeah. But, I mean, they would use it imaginatively, you know, turn left at, at, at Dead Horse Lane, for example. At the third bad smell. <laughs> th- yeah, exactly, because there would be, you know, a dead cow or something, and they would use that for directions. It's quite extraordinary, really. I'm not sure there'll be many cows, Gary. You mean horses? Horses, cows, sheep, ducks, um, whelks. <laughs> they, they, the whelks. <laughs> now, the officers and NCOs, they've got to ensure that the new garrison understood the local situation. What, what kind of thing are we talking about? Well, the strength and weaknesses of the trenches, the locations of the trench stores, and the linking points with neighbouring units. And, and, of course, they have to know what the threats are from the Germans. So you have to know what, what the German situation is. German sni- operating ge- points where German snipers are a threat, men and were that kind. So you, you're giving a full briefing, aren't you? Why there are whelks. Why there are What are these effing whelks doing out here? I've got whelks up to me house. The combination of fear, exhaustion, stress, extreme physical discomfort and illness was a potent brew. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Well, well, people. I, I mean, there's no place for humour really here. They're, it's just, they're just the men are just ground down. Even three or four days, they're ground down. They're they're at the end of their tether, their physical, mental tether. And uh, I, I can't. I, I mean, uh, wishy washy modern types. I can't imagine what it was like. Um, but this is uh, you're going to be Lieutenant Horace Pavier, one six seven Company Machine Gun Corps again. Tell us how he feels. I collected the remnants of my section and began to struggle back through countless mud holes. I was so weak that I kept falling down, and in the process getting muddier and muddier. Stretcher bearers came rowing up to help, imagining that I had been wounded. With hindsight, I now feel that I refused their offer ungraciously. I wonder what he means. <laughs> the main contributory cause of the weakness was an acute attack of dysentery, from which I'd been suffering for some days, and at that time I would rather have died than reported sick. No latrines were available, and I was forced to evacuate in numerous shell holes. You paint a picture, Gary. Yeah. That is terrible, isn't it? Now, they get out of the line, they get back to their billets or tents or whatever they're staying in, um, and uh, they, they get their natural vigour back. Well, they, they slowly start to recover, don't they? And, and you're going to be Captain Philip Pilditch of C Battery, 235th Brigade RFA. It is queer by what stages one recovers from a, a whirl like that of the last few days, and they are invariably the same. During the worst rush, one does not sleep, wash or shave, and only eats haphazardly a scrap here or there. The way these strains take me is that I can, can't speak quickly or loudly. My voice dwindles to a sort of whisper, and the words follow the brain in a slow and halting way. Sometimes I can't think of even the simplest word. Hang on. <laughs> Actually, why you picked this quote for me to read, it sounds a bit like me, normally, <laughs> to which to, to give and order. What? <laughs> the first step to recovery is sleep. 
Then follows a first shave and a consequent feeling of increased morale and self-respect. Then a wash and perhaps clean clothes, regular meals and the old order starts again. Instead of thinking a couple of hours ahead, one gradually returns to thinking of two days ahead. And that's it, you know, so when he's come out, his mind's a mess. And then gradually he just pulls himself together. You, you read that superbly. You demonstrated everything he spoke of. I did that deliberately. As the men begin to recover from their experience, the usual rhythms of military life soon begin to reassert themselves. And once more, you're going to be Private John Lawton of the 5th King's Liverpool Regiment. Polishing our buttons and brasses, which, to my mind, is a farce. (laughs) It was the thing where... which we had to occupy our time with when uh, out on rest. And I can fully understand now why so many of the photographs of the British Tommy in the press were were headed with the words, the bright and cheery Tommy. (laughs) And he is happy. Are you? I've often thought that the true heading should have been, underneath a bright uniform, there lies a heavy heart. Mm. Now... It does cause considerable resentment among the men who felt that well, they'd been you, moved. Come to, on, you'd, you'd feel that way, wouldn't well, you? Well, yeah, but they, what, they're asking, what's the point of polishing? And the bull, as Bullshit. they called it. Yet the battalions, they, they're inexorably being rebuilt with new drafts sent out from home. A return to drill and spit and polish, they're all time-honoured methods of restoring a sense of cohesion and, and pride in a unit. It brings you together. So you understand what the, these the bastard NCOs and bastard officers are insisting on getting back to Spindle. Well, if nothing else, it gives you a joint thing to complain about and to moan about. You do it jointly, What's... although you never complain. <laughs> you just remark. I think you may have just slipped into... Uh... <laughs> Old soldiers used to complain. Now, uh, what really pisses off the soldier out of the line when well, he's at the working is parties isn't it there, there was a never-ending amount of hard grafting to be done uh, behind the line and the men out at rest rest i <laughs> use the word loosely uh, were an obvious source for the labor that was constantly needed so what's got to be done well, the trenches, they've got to, got to be dug, gun positions prepared. So not right in the front line necessarily, but trenches all over the place have to be. Communication. Yeah, communication, yeah. trenches, the support trenches. Gun positions have got to be prepared. Roads have got to be repaired and uh, mountains of heavy supplies, they've got to be carried forward. Somebody's got to do it and there's no other readily available source of labour on such a scale the soldiers themselves later on they start to sort this out they call that they get the chinese labor call well, they, they get tr- soldiers who are not up to it uh, well but the, the, they do start to bring in other things but at this time it there's not much of us yeah um now uh, so so military life military life what does it send you well you describe it as an uh, embuggerance uh, and you often do military life. The men still had some time for themselves out of the line. Let's let's be clear. Uh, and as the new draft slowly blend into the the unit, the old hands took every opportunity to relax. Why? They, well, 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 they're old hands. They realised that they they would eventually be going back into the line. So the, the, yeah. The, so while they're out, they're going to enjoy what they can. Yeah. Now you're going to be Private Francis Fields of the 15 Warwickshire Regiment. Some wrote letters home, but most were content merely to underline emphatically, I am quite well. 
on the field postcards. Every moment of this new lease of life that we had uh, had not dared to anticipate was being savoured to the full. We did not dare admit that it would all be too short. We lay under the trees in the shimmering afternoon sunlight amid the scent of grass, overripe fruit and hedgerows, to a background of sound coming from the hum and drone of insects seen and unseen. It's, not, of, it's not November, is it? This, no. is, this is the summer. <laughs> or of chirruping grasshoppers. We watched them idly, like children. We identified ourselves wholly with their carefree movements. When the drafts began to arrive, we had to bestir ourselves. Drill and field exercises were increased so that we should become fully integrated. Inwardly, we began to resist, a sure sign that memories were returning of unending days and nights of turmoil, stench, buried fears, thirst and fatigue, and with them casual recollections of faces and voices, comradeships which were no more. But there was no mention of them in the infrequent throwaway jokes and unfinished sentences we began to bandy about. So, how are they keeping themselves cheerful? By, by having a laugh. Because otherwise, what would they have to do? They'd cry. Well, poor, big, hairy-arse soldiers don't cry. Don't cry now, most soldiers, they're interested in the simple pleasures of life. Food, drink and sex. How very different from the home life of our own dear Queen. <laughs> Many drank rather more than they had been used to in their civilian lives. But alcohol's a pleasant gateway to oblivion. Pete. I found that only the other Sunday night. <laughs> it yeah. reduces their inhibitions and it allows them to quite literally forget who, why, and wherefore. And I'm once more going to be signal. Who are you? Can you remember? Signaler Dudley Menno Lissenberg. 97 battery. We hurried to the SDMNA and crept into the bar. Saint Bout Von Blanc bellowed choppy in his best French. The, the response was immediate. Out from a room behind the bar appeared the rosy-cheeked Benjamin. She placed her hands to her mouth, then raised them aloft and said, Ooh la la! We filled our glasses, looked at the French locals sitting around, shouted, Cheers! And downed the lot in one draught. This, plus a glass or two of absinthe, surreptitiously handed to us from beneath Benjamin's apron... Mm. put us in a stupor and we rode back in a daze it took a long time to recover from the effects of the terrible hangover and the bitterness of the absinthe remained for days uh, I recognise some of those symptoms but that's uh, that, that, that. well one of the reasons they got so drunk is they're not used to wine are they? I mean they've been drinking light, uh, pay, um, mild and bitter bitter, weak bitters session ales and then suddenly they're drinking half bottles of wine down in one sort of thing yeah well now, what was it that most men wanted? A uh, peaceful world and an end to sin, surely. Yeah, undoubtedly, it was sex, Pete. They're all young I men. I remember that from about 40 years ago. They're all young men, and they're determined to take any opportunity to uh, test the water. <laughs> and you're going to be Lieutenant Edgar Lord of the 15th Lancashire Fusiliers. We were billeted with a miner and his comely wife. As women were scarce, anyone with skirts seemed desirable to some of the sex-starved officers, and they tried hard to get the husband tight so they could seduce his wife. Whether she was willing or only leading them on, we shall never know. But in spite of much whisky, the attempt was unsuccessful. Now, was it to get him drunk or to get that... Well, yeah, well um, but I think that uh, gives you an idea of uh, things. Um, a lot of the times it's quite sordid, I'm afraid. 
married. Uh, so what are they looking for? Well, what is the realistic thing that, you know, they can look at these girls in cafes, they can look at the, 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 the landlady, the, the billet owner's wife, but what's the reality if they're going to get sex? Where's it going to be? Well, as you say, it's sordid, but brothels and women of easy virtue were in uh, great demand. And, and it's, it's difficult not to sympathise with young boys who are, who are grabbing every opportunity they they could so that they didn't die as uh, hapless virgins well because that's i mean uh, there was a book written about that was, was it was about uh, malayans in murders called virgin soldiers it's very much in their mind you know you're you're 19 you you haven't let, you haven't had your end away and then you realize that it's even so it, it's even it seems to be even odds you're gonna you're gonna get killed or, or perhaps your bit shot off that'll put an end to it now, they're constantly preached at ad infinitum by their padres, who warn them about the awful dangers of fornication. Well, I can't stand the next bloke, so I'm glad it's you. He's just such a, an uh, unsympathetic arse. Uh, so I'm glad it's you. You're going to be chaplain Roger Bulstrode. Gate name for him, actually, Bulstrode. Senior chaplain of the 20th Division. The temptations increased in inverse proportion to the distance from the line, but sadly, enough shameful opportunities were sometimes found quite in the forward area. The size of the VD hospitals at the base is sufficient evidence of the prevalence of this sin, and who can wonder? Of this only, I am sure, that in the vast majority of cases the sin was against the men's own best nature, and in spite of a real struggle for purity. Those who glorified in it, or officers who jestingly encouraged their men to use their opportunities, were the exception. I think he's living in cloud cuckoo. Yeah, he's living he, really. in cloud are you engaged in a real struggle for purity, or do you not have much option? I am now. Concert parties, they were either in formal gatherings or within the uh, uh, the battalion, sometimes near professional divisional affairs, they're far more popular and a treasured opportunity to cock an affectionate snook at their offices. And there's also the strange British preoccupation with the uh, female impersonations to this think is, about. This is a timeless uh, theme in British uh, military history, isn't it? You're going to be Private Davy Starrett, of the Ninth Royal Irish Rifles. This sounds like a local one. Eh? They put a show on in the old barn, I suspect. The officers in the front seats came in for a good deal of chaff from the men, some telling them they should be on the platform with the performers. But they got nearly as big a cheer when they came in as the entertainers themselves. The colonel was now firmly established as the old joker, and this title was heard a good many t- times that evening. One man asked, actually asking him to sing amid general laughter. Ha, ha, ha. Hein, the adjutant, was also chipped a good deal. Chipped means, uh, you know, joked at. Uh, but save for his queer smile, took it in good part. Hi, mates, would you believe it? Look, they've sent some girls from home. Oh, it's been a, 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 an exciting change in the performance, hasn't it? So what does he say now? And it did look like it. Some of the men began brushing their hair with their grimy hands, and some of the young officers were nearly as bad. Even Hine winked at the performers, though, only just married. By Jove, they could sing and dance, lifting legs so high that the front rows got sunburned. What does he mean, Gary? I've no idea what that means. <laughs> oh. <laughs> And each time the curtain went down, the cheers nearly wrecked the hall. But the girls were boys. <laughs> For at the last, there they all were with their wigs, standing with their wigs in their hands. And it's just amazing. It's just people just surrendering to the moment and 
enjoying the fun. Well, he had been a long way behind the front. General laughter in a chateau. Look, we're trying to we're trying to eradicate that sort of humour. Now, of course, lots of the men had wives and sweethearts back home, and depending on their character, they'd write home more or less regularly. Many of the letters couldn't but reflect the depression that sometimes overwhelmed the writers, uh, as in the, the the following letter well, that I'm yeah, going to yeah, quote from. You, you, yeah, I need a depressed voice from you. You're going to be Lieutenant Colin Trail of the 10th East Yorkshire Regiment, and uh, and he is he is he's writing home to he's writing home, and he just he's just pissed off, isn't he? I can't help thinking it's about time this old war stopped. It seems remarkably tenacious, doesn't it? If only there was some faint prospect of leave, but there isn't. I've had two baths in the last month and never so much as seen a cafe or shop. I would give anything for one of those fortnightly expeditions to Bethune for a decent tea and a sight of a civilian. I feel just at present as though I could never be interesting or interested again. And letter writing is a complete impossibility. He wrote... I should write a funny letter and say how I was longing for a bit of battle, for that fierce joy of fighting that is the heritage of all England's sons and so forth. But I am damn fed up, my dear, and too infernally tired to pretend I'm not. Now, uh, I think that it's quite sad of blokes feeling like that, but just on the... Uh, soldiers never complain? Never. Is he not complaining there? He's an officer. Ah! Uh-huh. You have an answer to everything. Now, men mature really quickly on the Somme, and they try to express the changes that they could feel within them to, to sort so of... So who are they warning? Well, they're sort of warning their parents that, that they're now men with a different scale of, ver- of values from the uh, the callow youths that had gone to war. And you're going to be Captain Cuthbert Lawson of the 369th Battery, 15th Brigade, uh, RHA. Oh, I think I'll be grown up uh, enough next time I get home. I've seen and heard enough in these last six weeks to last a lifetime. But don't you think that if I get five days leave in October, I'm going to sit on the veranda and sip tea? Oh, I don't think. I'll just have to enjoy life for every minute of the time. And none of your tame fluffs to help me. He means women he's introduced to by his parents. Thank you. No, restaurant and music hall will be more in my line with the feeling that I needn't get up till about 10 next morning, which is absolutely priceless. Who's going to cut cut Lucy's warning? <laughs> Excellent. Now, the men actually fantasise about leave. They'd get less leave than men, wouldn't they? Yeah, when it would be, what they'd do and who with, that sort of thing. Well, you're going to be Sergeant Frank Cocker, first, fourth Duke of Wellington's. I'm looking forward to my leave. It can't be very long now. Somehow, I think it will be somewhere about Christmas, either just before, just after, or better still, dead on. Wouldn't it be just great, Evelyn? There's no end of pleasure to be derived out of that anticipation alone, isn't there? The other night, I had the most vivid dream that I was at home, and just as I was waking up, somebody banged the door of our billet. It sounded so much like the bang of our attic door at home that I couldn't believe I was not there. But as I became wide awake, I realised my mistake, for it was only the transport sergeant going to the early morning stables. I looked at my little luminous watch and saw it was just turned six o'clock. I lay thinking of my dream for some minutes, 
all was silent save for the snoring of Johnson and the others and the distant rumble of the guns which suggested an attack somewhere. Then a deep sorrow seemed to seize and oppress me and never did I pray so much for the end of this infernal struggle. And in a sense, for, for our listeners, this is the end of the infernal struggle because this is the end of our series on the Somme. We, have we enjoyed it? I'm not sure that... That's not the right word, is it? I mean, it, it it begs questions. You know, what was it all for? The death and the suffering, it's all around them. And there seemed to be no end in sight. And as we said, it wasn't just one day. It wasn't just the 1st of July. It's, it's well, how many months is it? Oh, God, uh, five, five, five months for the, for the French. And we did do an episode on the French. For the French, it's six months because they carry on fighting into... into uh, deep into December. And uh, it, it was a terrible battle. Um, there's not been much place for humour on and, on, on and off, and a lot of the humour I've tried to in- insert has been misplaced and not wanted. And failed miserably, mostly. <laughs> failed miserably. But it is, uh, it is a remarkably... It's a remarkable battle. And, and there's so much time left in the war, that, and they don't know when the war's going to end, do they? They've got no idea. It seemed to just be going on and on and on and on. Blah, 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 blah. A bit like you, Pete, you're going on and on now. I think it's time to say goodbye. Goodbye, Gary. Cheers, Pete. Thanks for listening to the show. Blah, blah, blah. If you'd like to support blah, us, blah, you can now buy us a coffee. Blah, blah, Visit www.buymeacoffee.com backslash pgmh. Or visit www.blah, blah, 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 blah. And we'd be jolly grateful. Cheers. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Thanks for listening. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook to learn more about each episode. And if you'd like to support the podcast, you have a couple of options. You can buy us a coffee at buymeacoffee forward slash PGMH or consider subscribing to the podcast for only £2 per month and get ad-free listening and bonus content. You can find links for both on our Facebook and Twitter accounts. Sounds great, doesn't it?